what is the gospel. And, and it could feel like, uh, you know, that's a long time to talk about one idea. Let me tell you, it's a big idea. And there are lots of parts of it. And I think sometimes, um, maybe with any word that we use frequently, it's easy to miss some of the meaning, to, to narrow in on parts of what the word means. Um, but to miss other parts that are important. Uh, I think probably as most of you know, the word gospel uh, means good news. Um, so when you have the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, gospel of Luke, gospel of John, it's the good news recounted by John or by Luke. When there's the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the good news about Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news about the kingdom. So just so you know, if you weren't quite sure about that word and where it comes from, um, that's the idea of the word is good news. But I wonder for us if someone came to you or, or to me and said to us, you know, I've heard these Christians, you know, when they're off on their own using the Christian words and talking about the gospel. What is the gospel? What, what, do you, what would you respond? What would you say to them if they, if, if they asked you directly? What, what, tell me what the gospel is. Anybody want to take a stab at it, at the idea? If you haven't been here before, we do this every once in a while where I ask a question and actually hope for a response back. So I know it's a little dangerous, but that, you don't have to get it all right. So the gospel is big, long, and a wonderful, huge thing. So if you get a piece of it, that's great. What would you say? They, what is the gospel? Okay. Yeah, Jesus Christ died for our sins, and if we believe in him, we'll have eternal life. Yeah, that's great. Anybody want to add to that? Or say something in a different direction? Great. So the gospel is the story, really, of Jesus coming from heaven to earth, from the earth to, to a cross, to die, and then um, ultimately to heaven, and then one day to take us with. Yeah. So, okay, great. It's nice. It's right in there in the songs. Maybe you didn't catch that, so go ahead, Paul. And the creed. The creed talks about it. What part of the creed? Specifically, all of it. Yeah. yeah, the creed really in, in it has the gospel very much. And in fact, I think after we talk about it today, you'll see the creed has more of it than you thought. Uh, or at least more of it than I typically think of. Anybody else want to throw in their two cents? Or their five centimes or whatever, whatever currency you use? Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's great. So John 3.16, yeah. Um, all those things are, are definitely what we think about, and it would be a natural response for us, and I think they're all true. So I'm not, uh, you know, thank you for each of you for being brave enough uh, to contribute uh, this morning. I, wa- I want to read uh, to you again a little bit of this uh, uh, passage that was read. It was read early on, so it's easy. A lot of things have happened since then for us, but I can't think of a better passage, to be honest, in answering the question, what is the gospel, than this passage right here. Um, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and following. And it starts off with this. says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. 
He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, he is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is the first in everything. For God in all of His pleasure was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of, the, of Christ's blood on the cross. And this includes you who are once far away. I'm gonna, we'll come back to that and read that last part. But, um, but that and what ends up coming afterwards is, is really the gospel um, according to, to, to Jesus Christ and according to the New Testament. And I, I don't know about you, but I find it very interesting and almost surprising to me that the gospel, the good news, starts before us. I, I, don't, I, I noticed it when um, Steve read the creed, uh, and I was reading the creed and going along and saying the words, but you know what my ears really perked up? Um, it, it perked up when it got to the part about me, about us. And I don't know, or when it was maybe not that, it was the reading, actually, that David did. When, when it, he got to the point where it says, this includes you. And then I can like, oh, okay, it includes me. Tell me about me. And one of the challenges we have as we encounter the gospel, as we hear it, is typically we're not always listening well until the part about us comes. And then we're all ears. But the gospel is bigger than us. It comes before us. The gospel starts way back, and it says that Jesus is the one who created everything. The things that are seen and as we talked about last week, the kingdom that's unseen, the heavens that are unseen. He is the creator of all that is. It was in the creed that we, that we read together. The creator of the seen and the unseen, of everything that is. And the gospel starts back with creation. He did it all. And it's important for us to realize this because we have to ask ourselves the question, where do we think the creation comes from? Does it come from a random chance that just happened to uh, happen at one moment and we're just a progressive part in that? Um, because if that's the case, as many people believe, then the way that our world will get fixed is and can only be by random chance as well. But if there is a God who created things through the person of Jesus Christ and who knows the way the world is and who knows the way we are, then that God can also send a fix to make the world right again. It will not be some accident or some mistake that finally gets the world back right again, but it'll be the one who created the world who actually makes things back together again. It's an amazing statement in here. It says basically when we see Jesus, we see God. And there's a lot that could be said in that, and that's a whole other sermon. But when we, when we see and read and understand Jesus, we start to understand and see what the invisible God is like. God becomes visible to us. And Jesus Christ is not part of creation. He is the one, apart from creation, who creates everything that is seen and unseen. Everything was created by Him. And, by the way, owes its existence to him. That means you. That means me. That means the trees, the mountains, the fish, the birds, everything. And then the unseen world, which we obviously can't describe because we 
Don't see it. Everything there belongs to Christ who made it. He owns it. And then there's this passage, this little phrase in here that uh, has often made me pause to think about and to wonder at, that everything is held together by him in creation. In other words, if Jesus, for whatever reason, decided he didn't want that job anymore, everything would, would move out. All those atoms and everything that keep us together and keep this room together, keep those chairs together. The good news is if that happened, you wouldn't even notice it because it would be so fast. But, but he is the one who holds everything together. I don't know if you thought about that. And this is part of the outrageous, to be very honest, the outrageous, but I believe true, claims of Christianity. It, it's an outrageous thing, isn't it? But amazingly true that he holds all things together, whether we've asked him to or want him to or not. But have you ever thought about those things that I just described as good news? Because God says that's good news. The creation, the way that it's made, the way that it's held together is all wonderful and great news that you need to think about. And it would be arrogant to think about redeeming a world if you hadn't created it. But if you have created it, if you know it, and if you hold it together, then you know how to fix it and how to make things right again. And Jesus is the one, this passage says, who has made it, who holds it together, and who one day will bring it together and fix it. You know, I know that for many, especially in our culture, but maybe even for some in the room, Jesus makes what can be considered a very um, arrogant statement. Uh, when he talks about him being the one who created all things and he, he is the one who is the way to God, the one who fixes things. But when you, when you understand this passage and when you embrace it as true as the gospel, then it makes sense that the one who created the world is the one who can fix it. The one who can make it whole again. This is the big you. And it's not just this world, but it's the unseen world that Jesus will also put back together again one day. You know, one question that we have to ask ourselves, uh, or we will over time, is how did I get here? <laughs> Not just get here at the hotel, but in this world. How did, I, how did I, me, get here in this form, in this way? How did the world get here? And your answer to that question will actually greatly influence your willingness to embrace this gospel, this good news, or say no. Because if life is just kind of some random thing that just happened, and you just kind of showed up at this part in the world, and that's just the way it is, then when this Jesus says, I, I made everything and I, I'm going to fix things, you're going to go, hmm. unlikely. But if he's the maker and the creator, it makes sense that this is the way the world is put back together. This is the way it's fixed. And sometimes I think what we need to do is we need to go back, maybe if we have a question or if other people that we're talking to have questions, we need to go back to that question of how did we get here? What makes the most sense? You know, whenever I talk to someone about the gospel, well, at least most of the times when I talk to someone about the gospel, I always start with creation. Who, who, who made us? Who created us? Because if you don't have that part settled in your mind, the other stuff just does not make sense. But when that part starts to become real, then the reality that there's a God and that I'm accountable to Him and I have done a lot of things that I've gone my own way make a lot of sense. And the fact that I'm accountable 
to someone from my life makes a lot of sense and makes me say, help me find a way back from where I am to where I want to be. Understanding who created us and why they created us is critical. Everything flows out of creation when it comes to the gospel, to the good news about Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to understand that reality. So when we talk about the gospel, we need to go back and move into that sense of creation. But it doesn't just stop there, because the good news is also that Jesus is the source of restoration. And maybe the shocking part of this passage uh, is that when he starts to move from the creation to the restoration, the first thing he brings up is the church. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm talking about restoration and making things right, the church is probably not the first place I would start. You know? Because, as we know, churches are messy. Because people are messy, and things don't always work right, and we don't always agree, and we don't always move in the same direction. But that's not where Paul starts. That's not where God starts. He talks about this, that Jesus is the head of the church, which the church being his body. And I want us to grasp something amazing about this phrase, is the head is the source of life, it leads the body, it commands the body to act, and the body acts based on the instructions and direction of the head. That's the way it works. And so basically it says Christ is the head, the leader of the church, the source of its life, and the church is the one that responds to the direction of that head and goes out and does the work that the head tells the body to do. That's the, the idea. And the purpose of the head, reconciling everything to God which is what was talked about before, becomes the purpose of the church, of his body, of the people who belong to God throughout the ages, past and forward. Not just every person. Because the gospel is what? It's about all of creation. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed it, we haven't really got the people yet. Which is kind of shocking because that's the first thing that we think of is we think about the people, but God is doing something bigger than just us. He's in the restoration and reconciliation business. He wants to bring all things back together. That's what the good news, that's what the gospel is. In reconciliation, He restores things and people back into a right relationship with God. If you restore a house, what do you do? You bring the house back up into the way that it was once created to be so that the original beauty is there. With people, it means you bring them back into a previous right state and place with God. That's the good news. That's what God is doing with the world and with people, bringing them back to the way that they were supposed to be and the way that they longed to be. Jesus is in the restoration business. He created the world, including people, so He knows how they should be aligned to God. And He gives us His life. It talks about in this passage that through Christ's death on a cross, through His blood shed for us, His life given so that we might have life. Restoration is possible through that death. It's, it's the way that Second Corinthians talks about He takes on our sin and gives us His life. And we have this new life, this new relationship with God. That's the kind of business that Jesus is about. That's the kind of business that the church is about. Is that the kind of business? Restoration? Reconciliation? 
that we're about? You know, I think sometimes, and I'll speak for myself, sometimes we're in a different kind of business, aren't we? We may be in the money-making business. Um, I don't think pastors usually are overly accused of that, but, you know. We, we oftentimes, as human beings, we're in the pleasure-seeking business, aren't we? We're looking to be happy. Sometimes we're in the achievement-reaching business. Our goal is to achieve some goal or to be better than other people or to make a name for ourselves. Sometimes we're in the criticism business. That their best work is done in criticizing other people and what they do or what they don't do. And that they don't do things right. Sometimes we're in the too smart, too strong, or too beautiful for other people business. Aren't we? As opposed to the reconciliation business. Instead of the restoration business. Instead of seeing brokenness and saying, yes, that's brokenness, but you know what? God is at work making them new again. Making this world new again. And guess what? If I'm in the church, really in the church, I get to be a part of it. You see, the great thing, the good news is not that God has come, Jesus Christ has given His life, and that you can be a Christian, and, and someday, after a lot of waiting, maybe, you'll get to go to heaven. The good news is God has something great for the church to be a part of, that restoration, that making all things new. Jesus is the creator of all, which is good news, and He is the restorer of all things, seen and unseen, which is all good news. What about us? Are we part of the good news too? Sure we are. You know, I mentioned before, and I want to read this passage again, this last part, is finally, Paul gets to us, doesn't he? And he says this, he says, This peacemaking reconciliation of all things in Jesus Christ's gospel includes you who are once far away. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now... This is the good news. He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's a, it's a shocking phrase there at the end, isn't it? That you or I could stand before God without a blemish, without a fault. Perfect. Because we know we're not at all. And yet that's the gospel. That's what God will do. And we'll talk about how He does that for us. But the gospel is about restoring people, us, to God. God, the gospel, I think, is, is this. As we look at us, God created you. And in Jesus Christ, He has made your restoration, my restoration, available, possible something that can be activated. You and I were enemies of God in our thoughts and in our actions. We looked at God not as a friend, not as someone that we could look to for help, but someone who was against us. And we lived that way. And we were hostile to God as opposed to Him being hostile to us. And there's a big difference. And in the death of Jesus Christ we are reconciled. Through His life given, we might have life. That's the gospel. We might be restored. And then when you're restored by the death of Jesus Christ, you stand before God. You will one day stand before God holy and blameless and without a single fault before Him because Jesus gives you His rightness with God. His rightness of life. 
when He takes on your sin. So when we stand before God, He doesn't look at Paul McMenemy. He looks at the rightness of Jesus Christ that has been given to Paul McMenemy. Or to Steve Planata. Or to Karen O'Brien. And you can go down through the room. That's the gospel. It's the beauty of it. But between the death of Christ and our restoration is something that is very important to say, and it happened earlier on in the in the passage in verse chapter verse four or chapter one verse four. Paul says this to the church. He says, "We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for God's people, which comes from a confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven." So here, here's the point. This is all wonderful, great news. God is restoring creation. He's restoring you. Even though that we've been enemies of God, He has come to be our friend and to take all the barriers away. And He wants to restore us. And one day, if we are restored, we'll stand before Him perfectly. But you have to believe it for it to become active. You don't, you don't add something to it. You don't earn it. You don't find a way to, to make it. But you have to believe that truth in order for it to be active in you. And your parents can't believe it for you. And your grandmother, wonderful as she may be, can't believe it for you. You and I have to have that faith that is true. And then that restoration becomes active in our life. You know, in some ways, when you understand the gospel, the most natural thing to do is to say, this is great news. But I have to tell you, when I first heard this and understood it, which was in university, I thought something more like this. That's interesting news. I'll put it in my pocket in case I ever need it. It's so, such a strange response, but actually a very natural human response because I'm not sure I need it. And oh boy, was I wrong. How deeply and desperately I and all of us need it. The Colossians made this jump of faith. They embraced God and His good news in Jesus Christ, and they traded the alienation with God to peace with God. And in the process, they became part of God's way of reconciling the world, of letting the gospel live out. Not just reconciling people, although that's important, but reconciling the world to God. What about us? Have we embraced that gospel by faith, personally? And have we embraced the reality of what it means for us, not just in terms of our relationships with each other, but our relationships to this world, that God is reconciling and making whole again? You know, the gospel is bigger than us, isn't it? Thankfully, it includes us. But it's bigger than you and me. It's bigger than people. And our call is to believe in Jesus and to work and trust Him in this world. The church is meant to be one of the primary means for reconciliation and restoration as it responds to Jesus, its leader. And (laughs) that is a huge challenge, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard for us to be reconciled with each other, (laughs) much less live out that reconciliation beyond us. But Jesus says, I know you all are broken. Come follow me, and I will fix you. And I will lead you, even your brokenness, to wholeness, but also to reconciling the world. 
It means that issues of justice, issues of environment, issues of international and interrelation, uh, interrelationships, issues become important issues for the life of the church. Not something far off, but something because God is making, restoring the world that we care about as well and we're a part of. And when we enter His body, the church, the large church, the universal church as opposed to a church, our mission or our business changes from our agendas, which is what can I gain from this world, to the agenda of Jesus, what can I give that the world might be restored to the way Jesus wants it to be? How we do this is at least one more sermon, if not a bunch of other sermons. Um, You know, it's so much to talk about. But if we take it seriously, we start to take seriously and search our own motives for what we do. We start to ask ourselves, why do I do these things? We start to ask ourselves, is this really the love of Christ towards other people, or is this the longing of Paul, or the longing of myself to get what I want? We think about the way we spend our money, our time, and the talents God has given us. Is this really for the gospel? Or is it just for me? Because reconciliation and restoration happen through self-giving. That's the way Jesus did it. And that's the way he'll invite us to do it as well. Verse 23 says this, and it reminds us that even once we've embraced this gospel and we have received Christ, it says this, you must continue to believe this truth, which is the whole thing that came before, and stand firm in it, For when we drift from it, we deny the ultimate reality and we live apart from the source of our new life. And we live in that old life. God is restoring creation. And He has freed us to be a part of it. Let us not again be enslaved to the things from which He has freed us from. Let us embrace this restoration of all things as good news, as great news as the best news that we could ever take and receive. And let us follow it. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we give you thanks for the privilege that we have to be able to see the gospel as a whole. Thank you that you open up our vision to what we wouldn't see, that the gospel goes way beyond us to what you are doing with all the creation, both seen and unseen. And that amazingly, somehow, as we are attached to Christ, and as He leads us and we follow, You will restore all things by Your power. And oftentimes, You will do it through our weakness and frailty. Thank You because of the Gospel, although we may feel alienated from God, that if we have embraced Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, that we can know the amazing news that we are without blemish, spotless, and one day we will stand unafraid before the great God who rescued us. Soak this truth into our souls. Help us as a community to learn to live it with each other, with other people, as well as with the created world around us. Lead us, we pray, for we cannot do this without you. In Jesus' name, amen.